Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM, 87.6, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. Positively different radio in the morning. You're with the double L team, Larland. Lawson. Lawson. What are you thankful for this morning other than food? Um... Give me a second. He's, 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 he's going to come up with something. Second. Not Hold quite on. sure what. Hold on. It's coming to be my something brain. there. Okay. Um, Bible studies? <laughs> <laughs> it's always the so this same. This is what happens this when I ask all... Lawson what he's thankful for. He can't think of anything other than food. Food. Or, or, or Bible studies. Because I talk about that a lot. Too. I'm thankful for rattle cans. Really? What are you? Why? Why not? Did someone like? Do you like going graffiti houses? Like no. Then, I don't but know. some people do graffiti. Yeah, and they do really nice graffiti with rattle cans. Is, so the world is, would just be a less colourful place if it wasn't for rattle cans. Is that what you're grateful for this morning? I'm grateful that I can paint like things with rattle cans. Okay. Rather than graffiti, I'm okay. not an artist. Why not? Because I'm. Really useless at art. Like <laughs> you can start any time. Well, I believe. I believe in you. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. Uh, there are some talents that a person, some people receive, and others don't. Mm-hmm. And graffiti is definitely not one. Any mm-hmm. kind of art, actually, I really struggle at. Although I did do photography a lot for about three or four years, and wow. really enjoyed that. Got pretty oh, good okay. at it. Yeah. Oh, got a few you, thousand followers on Instagram. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And here comes the first quiz for our pentathlon. The first question for our pentathlon quiz. Lawson, what have you got? That's right. For 100 points, what town in Galilee was the boyhood home of Jesus? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. 100 points, you're giving yourself a Faith FM bookmark or a, and bumper sticker. Or you can get your points on the board. Continue to work your way through the quiz. quiz. But again, that question was, what town in Galilee was the boyhood home of Jesus? Jesus. Okay, if you know the answer, then give us a call right now on 0491064669. But right now we're going to go into positively different news. Lawson, go I ahead. have some positively different news this morning in the area of farming. Cool. And, I love and farming. So farming and technology. That's what I have. We're going to start with the farming one first, um, where researchers in North Carolina uh, at the State University there have developed a plant mesh, like a, a mesh that they call plant armor that is protecting plants. And they've done a number of different um, experiments with this, and they've ultimately found that it is incredibly more effective at protecting plants from insects um, than any other plant mesh. Because the problem that you have when protecting plants and crops from insects is that, okay, so you say you put some kind of net over it, okay, yes. and but then small insects like, you know, like they tobacco thrips or whatever, they can just go through the net, yep. so you're not actually solving anything. Well, you keep the birds out. You keep the birds out. But the real struggle is the insects. And the so bugs. then we use insecticide and we spray, spray the plants with harmful chemicals, which then have terrible effects on our bodies if we don't. And if you cover them, them with something that the bugs can't get through, then the sunlight doesn't get through either That's right. and the plant dies, and the which plant kind dies. of defeats the purpose. So you're in a bit of a, a catch-22 scenario. It's like how do we protect our plants from bugs without 
eating harmful insecticides. Now, you can wash them, uh, but I feel like after a, a, an amount of time of those crops being sprayed multiple times with, you know, different insecticides and whatnot, like, surely you can wash the outside, but that that chemical has to seep in a little bit. And, oh, yeah. And that's... We're full of insecticides. That's right. It's and that part is... Part of living in the modern world. Okay, so let me ask you this question then. So how does this actually let sunlight through if the mesh is so fine that bugs won't get through? So they created this mesh, right? And they call it plant armor. And, and this is the question. This is the problem that they had, that they had to think about. What they've actually done is that within this mesh itself, they have created this, like, it's multiple, multi-layered. And so it's got like a maze in there. Right. Basically, it's and a, bugs get lost and bugs get lost. Now, how they they did their first initial test and how they did it is they got a petri dish and they put on one side a cabbage leaf and on the other side they put um, like ten tobacco thrips, which are the hardest insect to uh, fence out. Fence out because they're tiny, like they're the yes. size of like a a ball pen tip. You and know? they like and they like cabbage leaves. That's right. They love cabbage leaves. They put it in a petri dish. Now they had one petri dish with plant armor and another petri dish with like just regular commercially available stuff. And in the commercially available stuff, the the thrips were able to get through all ten of them. Um, well, actually, no. The first one was able to get through in twelve minutes. Okay, so after twelve minutes of trying, it got through, and then they they're all snacking on the cabbage with this plant armor. It took the thrips three and a half hours to get through. Right. And so now, then you're thinking, oh, but, but yeah, they got... That, that's right. What did, did, but oh. they got through. But think about this in, like, the natural world. Like, there is plenty more food around other than the cabbage, and if it's got to take them three and a half hours to get food for, like, a young tobacco thrip, like these tiny animals that have tiny lifespans, event, like, the, the thought is, is that they'll just give up. It's an interesting thought. And this is the thing. Have they tested this in the field? That's where they have done field testing. They had two groups uh, here, two groups of plants. Um, one was protected by plant, uh, this plant armor. The other wasn't. And ultimately, um, after their three-month experiment, this outdoor field trial, um, the researchers found that the plants covered with plant armor were on la- uh, were larger on average, um, and the weight of the cabbages that were grown uh, were three times the size of the other control group. So, so were there any tobacco thrips or any other bugs actually getting through, though? Uh, the answer is... Um, it, it, was it just a reduced amount? It was a, an incredibly reduced amount Yeah, that can be washed out. So, like, because uh, they also did the um, the experiment with, like, caterpillars as well, unfed caterpillars, like, with the kind of, like, petri dish type thing. Um, and, yeah, there were... Uh, it says here they were 90% effective at preventing any of the unfed cal- caterpillars from getting through the plant armour at all. So basically, tobacco thrips are interested in victims, not defenders. Yes, that's and right. You can defend it, it's like, yeah, now I'll go find a victim. That's right. They're like, oh, I'll go eat something else, and they can go and snack on some grass or something like that. Boring. It would, yeah, which is a bit, you know, maybe they're like, that's like their version of like a vegan diet, and they're like, man, this this is bum. There's nothing boring about a vegan diet you you i am vegan <laughs> that's right what are you going on about i'm just i'm just saying it's like their version of i don't know that instead of eating pancakes I'm, for breakfast they're eating wheat bix or something i don't know i eat wheat bix yeah wheat bix are awesome yeah but it's just less interesting to them 
And they're tobacco yeah, thrifts. Okay. They're, they're yeah. completely motivated by hunger and it's staying like, alive it's like for like two on, hours. Living on on plain rice, you that, can do it. It's a whole hey, thing. It's possible. Hey, why are we talking against plain rice now? That, that, well, you don't eat anything else. <laughs> if you eat nothing but plain rice, you'd get bored with it. Bro, I pretty much like for breakfast every morning. I eat plain rice and soy sauce. Like the greatest thing ever. Uh, uh, but yeah, so th- this. Uh, this experiment has been successful and now they're marketing their uh, design to different companies to put into mass production and, and get out there and protect plants and so we don't have to use insecticides anymore. Oh, fantastic stuff. I'll, I want to get some of this uh, material. I hope it's not too expensive once it hits the market. <laughs> yeah, that's going to cost like I can think of lots of uses for it in my garden. Um, I have another story here, a cool tech story, which is basically at the moment, you know, you have solar energy, right? We've talked about solar energy a bunch on the show. And solar energy, it's like one of the areas where people are trying to really, uh, like companies around the world are trying to really get a hold of how they can get more and more efficient and, and uh, ultimately, you know, increase the amount of solar energy. Because the good thing about solar energy is is that it's pretty low effort and you can't monetize the sun. You know, there's no, there's no like company that can block out the sun unless they get a big version of plant armor and put it around the entire planet. You can't monetize the sun. So people are trying to come up with all different designs to, um, you know, uh, harness solar energy, energy, um, specifically into batteries. Now we've talked about with, when it comes to like, uh, solar's use in creating like base load energy and whatnot, the idea of like harnessing solar power, you know, during the day and having your excess solar power, uh, stored into a battery and put into a house. Now people are trying to downsize this, um, into different forms and in different ways to, to come up with awesome portable solar batteries that can be plugged into anything and can have application anywhere. Uh, and one of the designs I found super interesting, uh, one of these designs, it's created by a team of Dutch Chinese, um, scientists. And basically what they've done, this is so interesting. Actually, I need to read this because this is like, this is kind of mind boggling and I am, Incredibly surprised. So what the, the device, their design revolves around a specifically engineered mo- molecule that changes shape when it comes into contact with the sun, rearranging carbon, nitrogen, and hydrogen to form an isomer, an energy rich molecule with a different configuration that holds shape when immersed in liquid. Okay. So it changes, the sun hits it, it changes shape. Now during that changing of sh- uh, shape, if you guys know about thermodynamics, when things change form, they give off heat. Yes. And as it's changing form, you know, and rearranging itself, it's giving off heat. And that heat can then be converted and stored as energy. Oh, that's pretty tricky. So it's like, and it's, 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 it's liquid based as well. So you have a box with liquid in it that gets hit by the sun. And as it's rearranging itself and, and going through this, this process, this is basically how like they're trying to do nuclear fusion. They're changing helium into hydrogen uh, by heating it up to a billion, million degrees. Uh, like What is it? Like 150 million degrees or something like that. And then it creates energy. So they're doing this on a tinier scale with this liquid. Um, and ultimately they've been able to store energy from it. Now in their prototype, they're using an incredibly small micro trip, microchip. And this is definitely not, there's not even in prototype stage. It's just that they're just seeing if their design has any type of you know, go about it if it works. And yeah, they've been able to produce energy and they themselves have admitted like, oh, this isn't much, you know, we could see like, we're not, we're not like powering a whole smartphone or something by this, um, uh, but, uh, by this process, but it is a proof of concept, which we can now work on and try 
to optimize and enhance. And ultimately, it could come to the point where your smartphone has like a chip in it that has some liquid slushing around in there that gets hit by the sun and then stores that as electricity. Which, by the way, that storage lasts for like 18 years. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And it's time for the 200-point question for the quiz. What name did a wild man possessed by many demons give an answer to Jesus' question? 0491-064-669 is the number to call. If you know the answer, you can win for 200 points in issue of Science Magazine or get your points on the board, continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, what name did a wild man possessed by many demons give an answer to Jesus' question? There you go. If you know the answer, give us a call right now or shoot us a text message. All right, so we're going to begin in New Jersey today where we have a law that is pretty much the opposite of Alabama's new law. So Alabama passed a law uh, a couple of days ago, signed into legislation that it was a criminal to, a, a criminal offence, a felony that you could be jailed for, for teaching radical gender ideology to children. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, anything from you know kindergarten to year five, that was identified as a form of sexual grooming Mm -hmm. and that this is not something that a normal adult does. These are not normal conversations that you have with a child of that age and they Mm -hmm. throw you in jail for it. Um, $10,000 and up to 10 years. Mm. Uh, It's reasonable. Then New Jersey comes out and they've made it a law that goes the opposite direction. Uh, They are now forcing second graders to learn radical gender ideology. So it's illegal in New Jersey not to learn radical gender ideology. Now, this is interesting to see how the United States is splitting apart over these kinds of issues and also Australia and the Western world because, you know, in the past you've had similar legislation across the US. Mm. So, for instance, across the US it's illegal to deal drugs. Yeah. And you're going to have laws at state levels right across the US that say, yeah, it's illegal to deal drugs. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's fair enough. We understand that. We get that. Uh, the difference between one state and the other state is going to be the penalty you receive. One state that's might right. have, you know, 10 years, another 20 years, another life, whatever it might be mm-hmm. for dealing drugs. And so you're going to get those kind of uh, differences. You're going to have, say, for instance, gun legislation, and some states are going to have constitutional carry, which means you have a right to carry a gun mm-hmm. uh, if you're not a prohibited possessor. Other states are going to restrict that somewhat. Mm-hmm. But they still have a right to bear arms. Mm-hmm. It's America. Yeah, and then not some like, cities, they make it like a no-gun zone because of violence, but then it's like, you know... In the past, mm-hmm. in the past, there were laws in different states that were the complete opposite of each other, mm-hmm. where in one state it was a criminal offence to do one thing, and in another state, it was a criminal offence almost not to do that thing. Mm-hmm. So now we're getting back to where we were in the past in the division between the states. Mm-hmm. So rather than there just being variations of enforcement of the same kind of law, now the laws are actually opposite to each other. Now in the past, of course, this was over the issue of slavery mm-hmm. and it resulted in a civil war. Yeah. Wow. And now we've got it over the issue of gender ideology. And the question is, how far is the United States from a civil war? Mm. So in New Jersey, it is a crime not to teach second graders that a boy can be a girl. Um, It is a crime not to teach them LGBT uh, plus ideology. Um, It is a crime not to teach them that gender is a social construct and gender is how they feel. 
So just uh, reading from it, gender identity is the feeling of knowing your gender. Um, this is from the lesson plan called Pink, Blue and Purple. You may feel like you're a boy. You might feel like you're a girl. You might feel like you're a boy, even if you have body parts that some people might tell you are girl parts. You might feel like you're a girl, even if you have body parts that some people might tell you are boy parts. And you might not feel like you're a boy or a girl, but you're a little bit of both. And then here comes the clincher. No matter how you feel, you're perfectly normal. I want you to think about that statement for a moment because what this curriculum is teaching children is that there is no such thing as a broken human being, Mm. which is the complete opposite of everything that the Bible stands for because the Bible says that we are all broken human beings, we are all in need of a saviour, and that that saviour is God. Mm. a force outside of ourselves, whereas this lesson is coming through and saying, no, 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 you're perfectly normal. You are God. Mm. How you feel is what is God. We are all God. Um, at the end of the instruction, uh, children should be able, as it states here, at the end of the instruction, children, children should be able to differentiate between sexual orientation, gender identity, and describe gender stereotypes. This is year two students. Mm-hmm. So this is not this is not education. This is indoctrination into ideology that is not supported by any kind of science. There is no science behind this. There is just ideology behind this. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it sort of it, it it goes on from there. And so this sort of raises the question. You hear this kind of stuff, and the media is constantly telling us that well, this is what everybody believes right now. This is the truth. This is the reality. We get bombarded bombarded with it every time the uh, the TV comes on, and so is that actually true? Well, today to, the Today Show put up a uh, social media survey yesterday to find out uh, should biological males compete against women. This is a bit of an issue for the election that is coming up right now, mm. and there are a number of number of candidates um, that have come out very strongly on this. There's a piece of legislation between before the parliament to stop biological males competing against women. And we would assume that, you know, it would at least be split somewhat 50-50 between the two, if not an overwhelming majority in favour of uh, biological males competing against women, if we were to believe the general narrative that we hear in the media. Mm. But as it turns out, 6,100 people responded to say no, biological males should not compete against women. So that was 6,100. There was 539 that said yes. Okay, so uh, it's it's conclusive. And so here's what you've got. The media is driving and politicians are driving an agenda Mm. that everyone knows is stupid, but if you tell people the same lie often enough, they'll start to go, oh, yeah, maybe that one, that's actually a reality. Mm. And at least they'll be bullied into silence and shut up about it and won't talk about it because they'll be scared of being called phobic in some form or Mm. another. It's not phobic, it's common sense. Mm. This all comes on the back of uh, Pennsylvania School, um, which just knocked back a request by parents to start a Satan club in after-school hours. This is an interesting story. It was knocked down with a vote of 8 to 1 against by the school district, and they wanted to start this club as an alternative to the Joy Christian Club. Mm-hmm. Nine out of the 16 schools in the district have the Joy Christian Club, and they said, well, we want to have our Satan club as well. And uh, uh, the Jane Adams Primary School in Moline in Ohio, uh, sorry, in Illinois, has an after-school Satan club. And so they're like, well, we want to have one too. And so it's interesting to look at uh, this concept because from a freedom of religion perspective, 
I think they should be allowed to. Mm. Uh, from a and and then what we can do is we can actually look at what they're doing and judge what they're doing and make our decision based on what we think is right. Yeah, that's, what that's is, that, I just want to quickly like step in there and just say um, if because if what they're doing is okay, like if it's not harmful to children, then they have a like a yeah. I would a argue that, right to do so. I would argue that it's going to be harmful for children based on the fact that it has the word Satan in the title, who is seen universally as being a negative being, whether you believe in his existence or not. He's the embodiment of evil, and so you don't want to promote evil. Having said that, people in a Satan club would say that Jesus is evil. People in a Muslim club would have, you know, different views on what is evil and what is right, etc., etc., etc. And if you're going to, either you're going to have freedom of religion or you're not going to have freedom of religion. So you can't open your facilities to one faith and not another if you're going to have a thing called freedom of religion. After all, Satanism is really just another faith. It's just another mm. religion. But we should look at, as parents, what's going on in these after-school clubs. Uh, this uh, one in uh, Moline is operated. There's another one in Lebanon that is operated by the Satanic Temple. It only targets schools that have Christian clubs. Mm-hmm. Because their argument is, well, if you've got a Christian club, then you should be allowed to have a club of a different faith, and we're a different faith. They advertise that they do puzzles, they do games, they do arts and crafts, they encourage creative expression and problem solving, critical thinking, free inquiry, rationalism, and here it comes, personal sovereignty. There's always some poison in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. In other words, you are God. It comes back to this same philosophy that is driving what is happening in New Jersey. So if you look at what the the legislation in New Jersey is based around, it's based around personal sovereignty. It's based around the concept that you are God. It's based around the concept that there is no wrong thing. This is Satanism that is being legislated in the state of New Jersey right now. Um, and of course, you know, Satan loves to hide his identity wherever he can. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. Now we are going to have our 300-point clue for the quiz. What nationality of women did Samson, uh, to his parents, discuss, seek for a wife? 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you know the answer. 300 points, you can win yourself a pocket sermon, or you can, yeah, get your points on the board, continue to work your way through the quiz. But again, that question was, what nationality of women did Samson, to his parents, discuss, uh, discussed, Seek for a wife. 0491-064-669 is the number to call. Joining us on the phone this morning for interview of the day is Chuck Hagerly from the United States here in Australia doing a series of workshops on life-ready kids. Chuck, welcome to the show. Yeah, so glad to be with you. Now, Chuck, I'm wondering just as an introduction whether you can share with us your experience. I understand that you worked in pastoral ministry, you've worked in the tech industry and sector, now you're doing these workshops. Just run us through very quickly your background as to how you came to be running these particular workshops. Well, it's a, it's a long story, but to cut it short, is, is youth ministry has been my heart. I started off as a young man working at summer camps. As a young adult, we worked in working with the youth. So in the United States, youth is high school age. And so working with those kids, serving them, 
college was a psychology and pastoral background. So I began pastoring, but really quickly determined that I love weekend pastoring, but not necessarily the week. And God was calling me to a different type of ministry. And so like all people searching for a career, tech became a, a career that, that I was suited for. What's interesting, though, is that as we look at these talks and what I'm giving now is, is I now lead an organization that works with at-risk teens, boys and girls at that point of not being safe at home anymore. In the United States, we have a residential program that operates as a mental health care facility, um, residential for kids to come spend six, 12 months with us. So it's this intense intervention with these kids. And, and as I started serving these kids as a leader of the organization, really quickly determined that a lot of them struggle around technology, but don't know exactly why and don't necessarily have the tools. And so at that point, I took a deep dive into how is it that we can really bring hope to these kids, give insight to them. And I'll just say one other thing that I hate talking about it, but the, the reality is I was exposed to pornography as a, as a little eight-year-old prior to internet, prior to all these things. And so my journey of recovery is something that is difficult to talk about, but I'm so thankful that God has led me to a place of freedom. So the skills that I've used in my own life to gain freedom is something that I'd longed for an adult to share with me when I was 12, 14, 16. And I find it fascinating and exciting just how God has led you through this journey, through this path, and uniquely equipped you by having a background in both ministry and the tech sector to be able to reach out to kids that are being heavily affected by technology today. Your, your workshops that you're doing here in Australia during your tour here, Life Ready Kids, uh, you mentioned the issue of pornography and how that you were impacted with it even before this became something on the internet, but now it is so much bigger. How big of an issue is this for our children today, for the average parent out there who's listening in and thinking, well, I've got an eight-year-old, they don't look at pornography. How big of an issue is this? And are they looking at pornography if they're eight years old? I will say it's difficult to measure because most kids that are looking at it are hiding. They're secretive about it. So the numbers that are out there are, I will say, anytime we look at statistics of kids and pornography, to be a little suspect about them. What we're seeing is for teen years, it's a little easier to get than maybe that eight-year-old but we're seeing for the teen years, 13 through 17-year-olds, and then you have the young adult group. Barna Research did a pretty good study called the porn phenomenon. And what they're looking at is for non-Christian kids that don't affiliate with any kind of faith at all, I guess they're not even Christian, but non-faith kids, about 79% of boys, about 39% of girls. Um, when you add the Christian element, it drops down to about 41% of boys. And for girls, it's about 13% that would be regular porn users. And this would be, you know, kids 13 to 25 years old. And so as I look at those numbers, what it tells me is that when you're ministering in a church context, up to 40% of your boys would be having some sort of issue with it. And a sizable number of the girls are struggling and with a lot of shame and a lot of lack of support and understanding. And would those numbers again be impacted by Christian young people being less likely to admit to it than secular young people? You know, I think so. I think so. What we see is that perfectionism is one of those things that you keep up a real good front. But a lot of times in the most perfectionistic, people-pleasing type environments, the kids often are looking for some sort of hidden release and the phone becomes that hidden place. Okay, so we've mentioned pornography. Is this the only problem that we have in children and technology and raising life-ready children? Well, here's the switch that I make, and it's, it's a little confusing on, on time frame, but when we really get down to this, our kids don't have a porn problem. They have a loneliness problem. They have a feeling of being unloved, unseen. They have a boredom problem. They have entitlement problems that they're using porn to solve. And so 
they have a porn solution, which is a bad solution. Let's just say that. And so for any of the tech addictions, whether it's video games, social media compulsion, pornography, that's their tool that they're using to feel better in the society that they're living in. With the emotions that are swirling around, that's their best answer to making life make sense. Does that make sense, Lyle? Yeah. 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 We, we try to solve the porn problem when, honestly, when I'm looking at life-ready kids, I'm, I want kids that are thriving, that are able to face the challenges of this world, the loneliness, the anxiety, the depression, the uncertainty, and despite those things, not turn to negative habits. Yes. And I guess one of the things that I'm sort of, something that I'm picking up on just listening to this, you know, the old adage, you know, idle hands are the devil's playground. And I know that it's nothing mm-hmm. like that simple. But at the same time, when we give kids things to do, ways to be productive, real relationships, then surely that is going to be solving some of the causes of the problem rather than just trying to solve the symptom. Oh, exactly. Well, and I think that's the key is that. Psalm 103 to me is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible for anyone that struggles. And, and we all struggle, don't we? But there's in the, in the middle of that, it says, and he satisfies our desires with good things, with good things. For us as human beings, we tend to satisfy our, our desires with worldly things, with relationships, with power, with control, with, you know, our fear response ends up being relationship damaging, self damaging, relationship with God damaging. And so, To me, I think you nailed it right there, is that what would it be like if we help our kids discover tools for dealing with their life rather than just gravitating toward the dark side of of technology? Or it could be, you know, relationship problems, those sorts of things that really draw up negative in in us as well as our kids. Pornography has to be the darkest of the darkest of the dark when it comes to screen addictions. We've been hearing a lot about social media and the problems that social media is is causing amongst our young people. How big of an issue is things like Facebook and TikTok and Twitter and so forth? How big of an impact is this having on a negative impact on our children? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I, I do think that our kids are social beings. They do want to be connected. There is evidence that's showing some form of connection for our kids every day with their friends and and online tends to be the thing that that maybe an hour of use of of texting friends, connecting a little bit on social might decrease your kid's symptoms of anxiety and that fear of missing out. Where it gets dangerous is you pass that one hour and then you start seeing anxiety just skyrocket. We call it like like a hockey stick graph where suddenly suicidal thoughts, those things climb dramatically. And so in a sense with social media, video games, they have their place probably in a child's life to just bring some pleasure, some some healthy interactions, but it's easy for that to turn to a really dark place. And and here's the problem, and you'll probably relate to this, is that when we're feeling the most depressed, most isolated, that's the hardest time for us to put our phones down. And so it becomes a crutch that is hurting us. Indeed. When we talk about raising life-ready kids, where do we start? I mean, you've got a a 12-month residential program. Mm -hmm. You're obviously getting kids that are coming in there that are very broken. You know, we've got just the average broken kids because we're all broken as human beings. Where do we actually start? I mean, where, where do you start when you have really broken kids come into a residential program? Yeah. Let me answer the first one first for where do we start is that for us, Romans twelve two that do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. For us, that renewal work, our pattern of thinking in this world is let me avoid pain, let me take pleasure, and let me take care of myself first. And so those three things end up getting us into amazing amounts of trouble. 
And so really the, the key for us is what is the role of love in driving out fear? What is the transforming process of God on our heart? What is the role of relationships, vulnerability, confession, being in community? Because that's what drives us to safety. And so whether you're working with a, with a very broken child or you're doing the preventative work in a family, for us it starts with how do we make sure that we're not living by a pattern that's going to take us into these into these things. For the most broken kids, we're dealing with trauma. We're dealing with kids that are just, they want to shut off the noise. They want to break from the depression. The trauma they've gone through is so intense that they'll escape at any cost. You know, whether it's marijuana, drug use, relationships. And so for us, that how do we provide kids safety, first and foremost, so that they know that they're, they're safe in that moment so they don't have to revert to another behavior? Once they're safe, how do we start teaching them tools to use to deal with the big things they're going through? And so it's a spiritual work, but it's also a, a tangible, hey, let's learn skills to deal with your anxiety. Let's learn skills to deal with your anxiety and depression. Not just hope them away, but how do we actually deal with these things? There's been a very a large swell of voices out there in the secular world that for a very long time has been saying, been saying that there's nothing wrong with pornography, that mm-hmm. it is healthy for young people, it is healthy for adults, yeah. it is healthy across the board. Why do you see this as being one of the biggest issues that young people are having to deal with right now and why is it a problem? Well, isn't that the interesting thing is that I think people try to justify stuff with, okay, you're not getting sexually transmitted diseases, no one's getting pregnant, and then there's the myth of everyone's in a win-win situation. What we've seen is that use of pornography increases sexual desire while plummeting um, sexual satisfaction. And so it's, it's like drinking more and more salt, hoping to cure a thirst. Um, so sexually, it creates more frustration. And, and who wants more sexual frustration? I mean, I don't think any of us want to be sexually dissatisfied. Um, but that's a key thing. So you look at, at people that are in that trap, very frustrated sexually. The second thing is that there's magazines. We actually use secular things, GQ magazines, a men's magazine for men's lifestyle. It's not a Christian thing, it's not a pornographic thing, but they've concluded that men are better without pornography. And their reasons for it have to do with the fact that if you get really good at having sex by yourself, then you can't be in a relationship with someone without challenges. And so there's a whole list of them. What we see is that the person has to create, they have to leave the presence with that person having sex and become um, pornographic. They need to Pornify it is, is a word that I've kind of coined that, that deals with how our mind shifts to fantasy rather than being present in order for that, that sex to work. So that aspect. And then we teach this behind the scenes of what is happening off screen. Why do they show you what they show you and hide other aspects? And for me, it gets, especially with myself and, and teens as I talk to them, I choose to protect the vulnerable rather than use the vulnerable. I choose to make people stronger rather than weaken them. I choose to protect the innocent. And those values, if you hold those values, you really can't use pornography um, because it's clear that it uses people, breaks people down. The amount of sex trafficking, the amount of abuse that's taken place in their lives, uh, the amount of father loss that's happened. And so for me as a, as a person, I want to be a defender, not a user. You talk about a number of secular magazines that are coming out very, very strongly against pornography and showing the negativity of it. Is this a growing movement and are we facing a time in the future where pornography will be universally recognized just as we recognize, you know, now that smoking is universally bad, that pornography will be seen as universally bad by both secular and religious people? Um, I hope so. I hope so. I, I do think that there's a movement of people realizing that our devices are making us less human, that our devices are making us so that we don't add dignity to other people. 
And so whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, I think people are seeing that these are the results of character as well as these are the results in relationship that are happening. I do think from a study standpoint, there's going to be more that shows just how pornography drives the decisions made by an aroused mind and the damage that causes that. Um, the other thing that, and maybe we don't have time for it, but most people think pornography is a lust problem. What we see is that, yeah, it's a lust problem and a curiosity and a sexual issue, but it's also a power problem. Powerlessness and how it's expressed, it's an anger that's shown. And so depending on the pornography that's being used, a lot of it's the demeaning rape culture, humiliation. That's a whole nother dynamic working in someone's life. I do agree that the mainstream world is awakening to this is not a good thing. Yeah, particularly when we have, you know, so much that is happening in our world. You know, we've got Me Too movement. We've got these discussions yeah. around rape culture and so forth. And yet we we talk about bringing in this law, that law, the other law, different legislations to protect children, yeah. protect women, protect the vulnerable and so forth. And yet we constantly promote the opposite through what yeah. is available on our screens. I mean, is there a yeah. role? Is it even possible for governments to stop something like this? You know, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. And I think here's the other aspect of it. What we really work on is that you can blame other people for your thought life problems. Let's just say that I can blame you know, okay, maybe it's because if, if the girls wouldn't wear these skirts or if TV wouldn't show these images, it can really get to a, I need to sterilize my world and then I'd be fine. But the reality is, is that, that our brains objectify things. We objectify other people. There's things that aren't pornographic that we make them pornographic. I mean, children are not sexual beings and people make them into sexual beings. And so that journey, to me, that journey of, of, yes, pornography is being created and sent out into the world, but what is my mind doing to make things object? What is my mind doing when I meet another person? Do I see them as a child of God, or do I see them as an object that, let me see how much sexual pleasure I can get off of observing them, watching them, um, fantasizing about them? Do you, do you sense what I'm saying? Is that the problem is, the problem is in our minds, um, and there's an industry that feeds it. You're doing a series of workshops on Life Ready Kids. We're going to have to finish up here in just a moment, but what would be the major tips that you could share with parents? Give us, say, be three or four big things that a parent can do to, to raise Life Ready Kids today. Yeah, first of all, I say start young, start conversations. It doesn't have to be long speeches. You don't have to have it all figured out, but be in communication with your kids about what they're observing, what they're feeling. That's so profitable. If our kids feel like we're afraid to talk about it, they won't bring it up. They sense our discomfort. So we need to get comfortable about observing the, the sexual world around us as well as age appropriately talking about it. I think the, the key that I really focus with, with parents is we focus so much on the habit, but we need to figure out what is it that our kids are longing for in their life? Is there ways that we can build connection? Is there ways that we can do stuff together, activities to, to work towards that? You know, a third thing that, that I really like is that we need to find ways to fast from our phones. Um, Andy Crouch talks about an hour a day without a phone, a day a week without a phone, and then a week a year without a phone. And that's not just sitting there with the phone sitting next to you trying to ignore it. What we're saying is how do you create experiences for our kids and family in which for an hour a day they don't even think about their phone? You know, what would it be like if we spend a Sabbath in which we're enjoying a break from technology but pushing into relationship? Um, we also believe in that idea of families doing service together. And so why don't you put the phone down for an hour and, and do a service for someone else? And those activities, it sounds like, okay, that, what's that going to change about a habit? What it actually does is it moves you into transformed minds. It diminishes fear. It's 
defueling the system that's running the negativity. And so, yeah, those things, communicate with your kids, talk about it, and then really push into activities that's going to pull your family into the right direction. Chuck Hagerly, thank you so much for joining us here on The Breakfast Show. We really appreciate the outstanding material you've been able to present here this morning. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.